Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Joined as we are every Wednesday by Dr. Carl. He is best, uh, he is the Australian science communicator and popularizer. Dr. Carl, good morning. How are you? How's your winter going in Australia? We've um, been very cold this year. Really? Mm. Well, um, it's almost certainly because of the SAM or Southern Annular Mode, which I've mentioned before, mm-hmm. you know, the wind yes. pattern of the Antarctic coming up. And so that's part of it. The other part of the coin is really surprising. But did you know that last week, Monday, was the hottest day averaged over the whole globe, pole to pole and wow. equator, ever recorded in the history of the human race? Well, we didn't. We didn't enjoy that experience, but that's very concerning, isn't it? Yeah, and then Tuesday broke that record, and Tuesday became the hottest day ever recorded in the history of the human race. Mm, mm. And that, of course, has some real, real consequences, doesn't it? Yeah, well, the record got broken on Wednesday, and then Wednesday became, three days in a row, the hottest day ever recorded in the history of the human race. And then the temperature dropped down a bit, but still stayed higher than Monday. We're talking the whole planet, not just the southern hemisphere mm-hmm. in the town where you and I live, but the whole hemisphere from the North Pole to the equator to the southern hemisphere to the South Pole. And so last week was the hottest week ever recorded in the history of the human race. And just a bit of background, the last eight years have been the hottest eight years ever recorded in the history of the human race. Wow, that's very frightening. But the good news is that we can reverse global warming. So the big lie that the fossil Mm. fuel companies are telling us currently is that it's irreversible and it's too late, and that's a So their motivation is that if it's too late, well, let's just keep on Mm. taking carbon out of the ground and burning it, Mm -hmm. whereas we don't have to. We can stop right now and start reversing it, but they want us to keep burning it. I've been following Australia in this, and their move to renewable energy has been tremendous. I mean, maybe maybe there's criticism there because it's not fast enough, but but when you look at it, uh, Australia is adopting renewable energy at a, a very reasonable and decent rate, no? Well, we were ham- – the, the previous government tried to stop us, but even so, Australians individually – bought solar panels. Ah. I was one of the early adopters. I got solar panels in 2007, and I wanted to do it for philosophical and moral reasons. So for what today you can buy uh, for $4,000, I paid $60,000. Oh, my word. That is a, and there's a real the reason that yeah the reason that people have cheap solar cells today is partly because of me because of each mm, mm. doubling in the number of solar panels that you manufacture and sell each time you double the price goes down by 10%. Unbelievable. So here's actually very interesting because there's been a lot of, there are a number of companies that offer uh, almost like a rental system so people pay less to have their solar installed and to have solar than they would to their electricity company. Uh, so it, it becomes, it's, it's become very, and obviously we've got power shortages here as well. We've got load shedding. So South Africans, if you, if you, really? if you have a, in fact, a friend of mine does this, he sends his drone up into the neighborhood every, every couple of weeks uh, and you can just see the rooftops of one after the other after the other so that when we do have a power outage, it's actually very hard to even know that there isn't electricity coming from the the grid because people uh, a good number of homes now have have solar, their own solar generation 
Yeah, there, there is a problem with that. So we had a blackout for the first time in a while in my suburb last week when we had troubles with communicating. And the trouble is that the if your solar panels via an inverter providing mm-hmm. you with the full voltage power, yes, and that power goes into the grid locally, a lines operator who's trying to do a repair ah. can get electrocuted dead yes. because they think, they assume... They're working on a... The, they're working on a dead line, mm. but in fact it's powered. And so you can't feed, you, you can't have your house alive, even if you're running on batteries. So assume that you've got enough batteries to run your house. Right. You can't run your house on batteries because it could be that you could be still connected to the grid. And what you would need would be a mechanical switch to directly isolate you from the grid. But if you forget to isolate yourself wow, from you the grid, you can really put somebody. You in could danger. kill somebody. You're right. right. So th- 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 this is part of what we're evolving the towards learning. getting mm. a new type of electrical grid that can accept power in both directions. So at this stage for Johannesburg, Cape Town's moving quicker to allow people to push excess power back into the grid, and they are looking at this sort of thing. Johannesburg, we have announced that it is the intention to to do so because many of us are producing more power than we're consuming, and it seems a pity not to be able to share it with with others. So, But we're not there yet in terms of the technology and the switches that you've that you've referred to, uh, very very interesting mm. and an important conversation, very relevant conversations for South Africans as we all, as we all try and grapple with the best way to to handle the the lack of power or the lack of electricity as well as obviously creating a sustainable environment as much as possible. Let's talk about slime mm. because it's underappreciated, mm. isn't it? Well, slime is. Uh, this weird thing that is 95% water. Now, just think about water for a minute. No matter what you do to water, no matter how much you freeze it and then turn it back into a liquid, then boil it and stir it, it's still just water. The properties are always the same. But if you have slime, you've got 95% water plus 5% other stuff. And the other stuff is a mixture of things called mucins, M-U-C-I-N-S, mm-hmm. and long, tightly coiled threads of protein. Now, mucins are a chemical that look like, do you remember the old bottle brushes with a thin bit yes, of wire yes, of that's fairly long and little, yes. pr- little hair sticking off it? Right. Mucins look like that. And so when you chuck them into water, their properties change. And firstly, the mucins can bind with the water and expand to different degrees. And the threads of protein can unravel and stretch out in milliseconds or longer, depending. Whereas with water, the properties are always the same when it's water. So in the case of a fish called the hagfish, which is this incredibly ancient fish going back hundreds of millions of years that found the perfect evolutionary design for its environment and just stayed there. So it's this incredibly ancient fish that has no jaws. Now, you and mm. I have jaws. Everything's mm. got jaws. It has no jaws, but it's got a double row of very pointy teeth that are stuck in the flesh. Oh, my God. And its unique defense mechanism is slime. And it makes this slime. And, and when I'm talking slime, I just don't mean, oh, look, it's a bit inconvenient. If a shark comes towards the slime, the hagfish will squirt slime 
at the shark and it will actually block the jaws of the shark. It will block the gills through which it breathes and so the shark will just get out of here. So you've got this tiny little fish that has got a mean enough stuffed to scare off a shark and then to stop itself from becoming trapped in its own slime, it ties itself into a knot and then slides the knot from the head to the tail, wiping off the, sli- the, the slime. And we see it being used everywhere. Slime is being used as a refuge. So if a parrotfish in the ocean wants a nap, it'll simply squirt out some slime, wait for it to harden Incredible. very quickly, and then it just sleeps in this cocoon. Or birds use slime to make a little cup that hardens the nest where the birds can grow. Or um, frogs have when they have a long tongue that goes squip and it bangs out into something and uh, like an insect it's covered in slime and the slime is liquid while it's moving but once it slows down it goes solid and then the insect is just trapped in this solid thing and it's used for a barrier so you've got slime on the inside of your mouth and on your gut and it acts as both a filter which can by itself decide what to let into the body or not, and also be a home for the bacteria you like. And we've we've always had difficulty in studying slime because it's usually kind of delicate and it exists, it changes its state Mm -hmm. from minute Mm -hmm. to minute. But now that we're looking at it more, we realize firstly how every living creature has slime. And almost certainly when you think about it, life on another planet will probably be slime. So interesting. Dr. Carl, we need to leave it there. Uh, but what a, what an intriguing conversation that was, Dr. Carl. We speak to him every Wednesday. He's our science communicator. We speak to every, him every Wednesday at this time. Ronnie said, says, slime is Satan. That's plenty appreciation. 731.